From our offices in Washington, D.C., this is Everything About Hydrogen. I'm Andrew Leadham, and with me today, as usual, are my profoundly talented co-hosts, Patrick Malloy of the Rocky Mountain Institute in Washington, D.C., and Chris Jackson, CEO of Proteum over in London. On today's episode, we'll be speaking with Professor Armin Schnettler. Armin is the CEO of New Energy Business at Siemens Energy, which, as of the time I'm recording this intro section, has completed one of the largest IPOs on the DAX exchange in history. It's a historic time to be at Siemens Energy, and we're delighted that Armin made time to speak with us about the future of hydrogen technologies in the energy sector just a couple of weeks ago. Before we get started, I wanted to quickly remind our listeners that we have recently changed our contact details here at Everything About Hydrogen. And for those of you who would like to get in touch with us, our new email address is info at h2podcast.com. So if you have any questions for us or our guests, please don't hesitate to drop us an email there going forward. That said, for those of you who prefer to communicate with us in 280 characters or less at a time, you can still find us on Twitter at at about hydrogen as well. Just a quick heads up to our listeners, this conversation with Armin ran a little longer than usual, so we scrapped the intro discussion this time around to give you all a bit more time to hear from him. With the administrative matters out of the way, we hope you enjoy our conversation with Professor Armin Schnettler on today's show. And with that, let's get started. Okay, Armin, uh, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and your current role at Siemens? Yeah, Andrew, thanks a lot. I mean, uh, how, how it is said, I mean, a couple of guys just recently told me that I'm one of the few candidates who have multiple tiles switched between business and academia. Funny to know, you know, starting uh, with the academia to for this PhD, etc., then moving into industry after ten years moving to a university, and after thirteen years going back to uh, to company Siemens here. Uh, since I'm uh, since uh, 2013, I'm with uh, Siemens. Uh, and uh, just recently, I joined uh, Siemens Energy, a company which is going to become listed end of uh, September uh, 2020. And uh, right now, I'm in charge for the so-called new energy business. Uh, it's a recently founded uh, unit, a business unit, which is focusing on the business in the hydrogen economy. And I'm the CEO or executive vice president, however we would call it. Armin is the best, the best part to call me. Very good. And I mean, Armin, I think um, you've probably heard this already, but um, I've been telling people that we are going to talk to Siemens and they've said, which Siemens? Um, because obviously there are many brands and many faces. So maybe you could sort of help our listeners a little bit. What exactly sits in Siemens Energy? Yeah. What sort of was previously Siemens and is now Siemens Energy? And how does Siemens Energy sit alongside the other parts of Siemens? I think that might just help everyone to contextualize for the conversation. Yeah, so now the, the sales pitch of Siemens Energy, right? Uh, put, it, put it that way. <laughs> yeah, well, we're giving you the easy tea yeah, exactly. up, Armin, you know. Uh, I mean, uh, Siemens Energy is a 91,000 people uh, business. I mean, covering the whole value chain from renewable electricity are to the, any kind of application. I mean, if it is high power. So what, what do we have in our portfolio is uh, the, the classical power generation business and the oil and gas, we call it now the industrial application, which is about helping our customers to reduce their CO2 footprint, say, part of the decarbonization strategies. Then we have this so-called the system integration part, we call the transmission business, which is everything about power systems. 
you know, to make it happen that electricity is there 24-7. And uh, in addition, and this is what I'm, I'm in charge for, is the new energy business, so which is all about uh, green hydrogen with three parts, which is the technology to produce uh, green hydrogen based on green electricity, of course. Uh, and then the, the part which is going beyond hydrogen, which is about, for instance, green fuels, green methanol, etc. So for different applications, because hydrogen is difficult to transport. So you look for different applications. And the third topic we have uh, in our units is about that we call it digital services. We believe in having a digital twin of what you are doing in order to plan, to design, to optimize. Firstly, uh, on a, on a, in a virtual world, and then to transfer it into operations to continuously optimize what you are doing, say the production of green hydrogen, and then later on to even plan uh, maintenance, uh, replacement activities, etc., in order to make sure that you have availability and reliability for green hydrogen at lowest cost of of the product. And this is the energy part, and then you have the the say, traditional Siemens, we are part, still part of the traditional Siemens, which is the mobility, the healthiness, which we brought already to the stock market, um, which is the industry. Industry 4.0 is a very important one. So digitalization in industrial processes. And uh, then, of course, the smart infrastructure. It's about the future of how we operate, design uh, buildings and plants and, and energy systems more in a decentralized world. Yeah, Siemens Energy is the big one, the big fish, and the decentral one is still remaining with the uh, with our colleagues in Siemens. Yeah, when I was looking at sort of different companies in the hydrogen and fuel cell space, and we were sort of looking at what's Siemens kind of position on it, I think we so this was probably a year and a half ago at the bank. We came to kind of three areas. So there was power to X, which mostly seemed to be focused on the gas turbine industry. There was the electrolyzer proposition, and then. There was some uh, background around fuel cells for submarines. And I think that was sort of what we could kind of dig out as what Siemens was doing. Obviously, there is more than that. And you've talked about the full value chain. So maybe you could talk a little bit about, I guess, the distinction between products. So what products in the hydrogen space Siemens is offering and then services. What services are you providing either linked to those products or perhaps not necessarily with Siemens products, but where you're working with other people working in the broader hydrogen space, and then you're providing an offering around that. I think it would be quite helpful, certainly for me, but I imagine for others to understand that, because I think it's an important nuance. Chris, very, very good question. Um, First of all, when we are talking about the, the hydrogen economy, then it's all about what does a customer need? And typically, it is green, say, molecules, put it that way, whatever it means later on, green molecules at an acceptable price tag. And the basis for that is the hydrogen. We are talking about hydrocarbons. I mean, say it, it is a fuel, say it is plastic. So you find C, carbon, and, and hydrogen everywhere. So what we are in my unit especially is focusing on is the technology, the electrolyzer, bringing in water and electricity and getting out green hydrogen at a very high quality, at put it that way, acceptable cost. We need to work overall on on the competitiveness of uh, green hydrogen. So this is our focus. 
Siemens Energy on top, beyond my uh, business unit, is the system integration, the big fishes, the renewable electricity. We are world market leader in offshore wind because you need to get cheap electricity, hopefully 24-7 or at least many thousand hours a year. The cost for hydrogen depends on cost for electricity, operating hours a year, and then the CAPEX and OPEX of the technology. Yeah, so we work on all of, I mean, we cannot work on the operating hours because this depends on, on sunshine and wind, right? But at least you can work on that if you have the right location. Yeah, but the wind turbines, PV parks, etc., and then the technology. Uh, Chris, you mentioned the power to X. Um, the X is typically, it could be ammonia, it could be methanol, it could be e-kerosene or e-fuels. I mean, we have 1.2 billion cars in the world. I mean, of course, we can wait until everything is electrified or we can already today start to produce green fuels in order to reduce the CO2 footprint of the mobility. This we do as well, but we don't do the synthesis. You need to create this kerosene and fuels, etc. Here we partner uh, with, with uh, say, international partners, renowned companies in these fields. And then in order to make sure we cover a specific part of the value chain, we have a clear interface, and then they cover the rest, for instance, and then comes the logistics, the transport, etc. And very often with our skill set out of the big power plants, you know, this edge power plants, the very big ones where you have thousands of employees in, in one location working. Very often we do the, the EPC, engineering procurement, commissioning, etc. So the, the integrational part, not necessarily we can do. It depends on what the customer would like to have. The key in the future will be that we have standards. Yeah. Otherwise, we end up in uh, re-engineering everything again and again, say the electrolyzer. So what we are looking for is to standardize an electrolyzer and the customer's product, the customer solution depends or is based on standards like a Lego block, right? You take pieces, the compressor, the electrolyzer, transformers, etc. You have a pre-engineered solution, everything which is customer specific, you jointly change, but then the rest is is given and hopefully even pre-engineered to get the cost down and reliability up. Armin, you've touched a bit on the on where hydrogen hydrogen sits within the structure of Siemens Energy. I wonder maybe tech, taking a step back and looking at that sort of thirty thousand foot view from from Siemens' point of view, where does Siemens see hydrogen fitting into the route to decarbonization? Right, and that's a big picture question. But uh, you know, how do you guys? And how does your group see it fitting into that equation? And maybe just adding on to that as well, then that split between hydrogen and then as you were talking about synthetic hydrogen fuels, because I think that's also quite interesting is, you know, there's hydrogen as a pure hydrogen, but then there's hydrogen and what it creates. And be, if you if you do see a distinction, it'd be good to get that. Chris is always very good at, at refining and uh, shaping my questions into something a little bit better. So, you know, that's, a, that's, our, that's our relationship. It's me just being greedy. It's just me being greedy. <laughs> uh, and making it even more complex in order, you know, to get more out of yeah, it. Yeah, of course. It's, it's the game. Uh, talking about the very big picture. Uh, if you have a, a look on the final energy demand, right? And this is what we need to decarbonize. Everything today is, is say, based on nuclear power or fossil power. 
uh, I mean, beside the hydro, uh, hydro power, this, this, uh, water dams, etc. So 20 to 25% of the global final energy consumption today is based on electricity. Of course, this can easily be replaced by green electricity, easily in brackets. Yeah. So uh, big challenges, but it can be because it's an existing market. The intention is to increase the electrification content in the final energy demand up to 40, 45, 50% maybe. You know, electrification of heat demand, electrification of mobility, etc. So this share is growing. But still, it will leave 50 to 55 or 60% of the global energy consumption for molecules. So which cannot be or not easily be electrified. And this is the market we are targeting uh, with respect to um, green molecules. And independently on what we are talking about, if it is uh, e-fuels, et cetera, et cetera, or the, the ammonia market, everything is based on hydrogen Yeah, in different derivatives, in different co- uh, combinations. But the hydrogen is the key. And interesting, to get the green hydrogen, you need green electricity. So I, I'm an electrical engineer, so I'm smiling even more, right? So this is what's behind you were asking about, Andrew, about where do we see the first market, second market, etc. It's all about um, total cost of ownership and price willingness. Yeah? If you are already today in a very competitive market, uh, most likely this will not be the target market, the target sector for ourselves. Everything which, is, which really needs uh, energy, which, is, uh, which has a high density, which is easy to transport, um, is has typically a higher price willingness, which is mobility. Uh, it could be hydrogen for fuel cells. It could be a hydrogen as, a, say, derivative for e-fuels for for cars, or diesel for for heavy trucks, etc. Or heavy trucks and buses and trains with fuel cells. I mean, technical development and, and cost development will decide on that. So, mobility is a very important market. And then you have all the markets uh, in addition or after that or in parallel, depends a little bit on the time, you know, which is uh, regulated. For instance, a strong intention to reduce the CO2 footprint of refineries, of chemical industry or steel. Yeah, And then you look for uh, different ways in order to reduce the CO2 uh, footprint in, in steel factories which is electrification is the electro-arc furnace yeah, to melt uh, the steel. But then to, to take the oxygen out, you need something. And this is, for instance, done by the hydrogen. The re-electrification, say power to hydrogen to power, will be another market in the future. This is very competitive. Yeah, so the first step to go there is the coal-to-gas shift. And in the long run, the natural gas shift to the synthetic gas shift or to the hydrogen shift. This will take more time compared to the mobility application, beside niche applications, of course. I mean, in the, in the, in the big field, in the large areas. And um, then, of course, you, you can talk about direct use of hydrogen in gas turbines, so increase the share of hydrogen in the combustion, or to talk about uh, fuel cells and all of that. Or to produce methane and then to have, uh, say, the coal to gas to syn gas shift. This is what we are looking for. And I guess, I mean, I mean, one of the things that I wanted to kind of come to, and you talked about, I, I thought it was really nice that you were talking about that big picture piece because we talked about this a lot at the bank, the kind of fact that 
in this energy transition, people do forget how small electricity is, relatively speaking, in the context of total final energy consumption and how massive that transition is. So I think that's important. But I think the other thing you were sort of alluding to is kind of perceptions around time. So, you know, if I think about a piece of gas turbine technology or I think about a boiler or a pipeline system, these are sort of 20 year assets, maybe even 30, 40 years. We talk to some industrial customers that still have systems that might be from the 1980s. So people do think that, you know, even though they want a quick payback on investment when they put in that asset, they are also expecting that asset to be there for a long time. And so I suppose it'd be interesting to get kind of Siemens view on how much of this transition is actually about the technical piece and the capex and how much of it is about financial structuring. Because we at Proteum at least have felt that a lot of the issue with the market is not capex, is to do with the fact that customers have this sort of payback reluctance with capex, that they need to see a one and a half to four year payback. And so actually it's it's the financing piece. And people in the electrolyzer space historically have not had the balance sheets that offer serious financing. And perhaps other people in the broader hydrogen and fuel cell space haven't either. So is that also part of Siemens' view? And then is there a kind of financing piece that goes alongside the technology piece that you think is adding value in this market? Or do you see it differently? Uh, no, we, we, of course, the market is, as you described, uh, right? And, and it's, it's, not, uh, it's not a rocket science uh, because we have this experience uh, already in the past. I mean, have a look on, on uh, green electricity, right? I mean, no one would believe, I mean, beside a few visionaries, etc., that uh, electricity out of PV and wind will be cheap and will be the dominating energy, say electrical energy, in, in the world. And uh, the same will be with the, with the green hydrogen or with the, uh, say, green molecules. It's, it's all about bringing costs down, I mean, definitely, yeah? be- because even the, the return on invest is something which is related to, I mean, to the offtake price willingness, but also on the CARPEX and OPEX, at the total cost of ownership, and the spread in between is what you earn, right? If you do it well, etc. Uh, today, we, I mean, the, the electrolyzer business is a relatively young business. I mean, known for decades. There are many hydrogen fitting stations in the world. I mean, it's not only Siemens doing that business. But when we are talking about industrial scale, this is new now. Yeah, what, what we see is that right now, every four to five years, at least with our technologies, industrial scale, we have an increase in the rating, the power rating by a factor of 10. So five years ago, we implemented the megawatt class industrial scale. Last year, we implemented the 10 megawatt class. And I mean, implemented, I mean, in putting in operation. Uh, now we are in the, in the negotiation for 100 megawatt, and we're talking about development of the gigawatt class, talking about gigafactories and all of it. It's a nice word, yeah, but it's a lot of PowerPoint, um, and, and buzzwords thinking. And this is, but, but still, it is a new technology like power electronics, like PV, like the wind technology. We are talking about a ramp up of a new economy. So we need to make our learnings. We need to reduce the costs. We need to get up reliability and availability. But this is, say, on the, on the technical part. And then comes the, the off-taking, right? The business behind. Um, and this is stimulated by regulation. I mean, there are political targets. And of course, you can debate with the politicians if this is right or wrong. But you know, Fridays for future, and you know Siemens and, and, and Joe, Joe Kaiser himself uh, 
he, he has been intensive discussions on this Australian coal mine, right? I mean, it was public pressure. And you can go into the press. I mean, you can send this podcast here and say, we don't believe in energy transition. Nice. Yeah, you, you know what you will earn out of the, the public. I think we are beyond that point that the, uh, the public, the people on a global scale, they do not believe in energy transition. They are just a minority, I would say. We need to attack that topic. We need to strive for CO2 emission, a reduction of CO2 emissions, etc. And uh, the politicians, I mean, in Germany or in, in uh, Europe, the Green Deal, I mean, the, the strategies are out. We are now talking about implementation, and implementation is going uh, along with regulations. Yeah, and if you like or not, by 2030, you might not be allowed to to start and land your aircraft in the Netherlands, for instance, anymore. If not, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And the same with this: our renewable electricity setting targets, its regulation, and then you have to fulfill. And the rest, I believe, in markets. Yeah, you you set the regulation, you create a market, and then we manage from the technology side as Siemens Energy. We manage the topic product, green hydrogen or derivative, at a given or expected quality and cost. And so maybe then on that, I mean, obviously positioning yourself for these markets and regulation. Maybe you can talk to some of the pilots that Siemens is working on globally with the different technologies you have. Um, and maybe kind of tell us why you think those are exciting and, and why you're positioning yourself with those pilots in those spaces. You've touched on some of them before, but I think making it a bit more tangible and maybe talking about two or three that you particularly like would be really interesting. Yeah, yeah I cannot talk on, on all the big ones right now. Uh, they are not, not yet public. Uh, they are there. They are, you, you need to believe me or not, right? It's about trust. Um, we, I guess we can uh, announce it somewhere. If it is really materializing, nobody knows. Maybe the one we are quite proud of is the Energy Park mine, so to speak, which is uh, which has been put into operation 2015, the six megawatt peak uh, electrolyzer in uh, in Mainz, the first one in the megawatt class. Uh, I would I would dare to uh, I would say uh, this is some kind of an, the electro PEM electrolyzer mecca in the world. Everybody who is in that field, I, I guess. Uh, has been there already. Yeah, so this is something um, we jointly develop with our customers, very innovative uh, customers there. And uh, this is important. And then we have other projects um, in with, with customers in the northern part of, of Germany, in, in the oil industry, in, in Sweden, with, with uh, in the food and beverage, etc. So we have a couple of, say, industrial scale applications. And now we are looking for the, for the, say, continuous operation in, uh, uh, in Austria, in Linz, where we applied, they say, the double-digit megawatt class, the CELIZER 300, as we call it, in the steel factory of first uh, in Linz. This is the, the first of, of, its new, of, of the new kind, of the new generation. And uh, this will be used for the, for the next projects. And, of course, we, we wouldn't be Siemens Energy and, and our team uh, if you would not already work on the next generations. Yeah. It's all about partnering with customers. I prefer to have next generations always tested with, with uh, strategic customers. And it's a, of course, it's a technology push as well. So working closely together with academia and bring, I mean, 
ourselves with academia and the customers are jointly working on uh, on the next generation. Maybe weaving all of those different threads together, there are a lot of different ways of tackling this question. But you know, from your standpoint, where you sit and where Siemens sits uh, in the hydrogen economy these days, you know, what are the current challenges that you see facing hydrogen as a vector for decarbonization? And you know, it, in concert with that, what sort of activity and support is needed? And you know, and for, you've, you've pointed to to various policies and strategies. I think certainly the German government made big headlines with their hydrogen strategy, uh, and now the French and various other countries are following suit. Um, you know, where does that support need to be coming from, and from whom do you think to address these challenges? Yeah, I mean, first of all, it, the, the most important thing is now to to get it in an industrial scale because we are talking about very big projects. Um, what we believe in is the large-scale electrolyzer or green hydrogen business. When I'm talking about large, then say 10, 20 megawatt is already the, the lower part of, of large, and then it will be bigger, some hundreds of megawatts and the gigawatt scale. There will be pilots in the smaller decentralized ones, niche applications, etc. but the business we are looking for is the big one. Uh, technology readiness is important yeah, because, I mean, these projects, 100 megawatts, some 100 megawatts, needs to become bankable from the off-taker point of view, but also from ourselves, from a manufacturer point of view, we need to give guarantees, right? So we need, must be safe that over a period of many years, including maintenance, etc., that we have something which is really reliable and efficient. So this is where we are working on the technology um, what is also important is reducing cost in, uh, in, in manufacturing, production, not production of the hydrogen, but of the electrolyzer itself. And this goes along with uh, automation uh, in, in the manufacturing process, etc. And to do so, you need volume, right? It doesn't make sense to, I mean, we are talking about tailor-made, so to speak. So we are looking for automized production lines. For that, you need volumes. If you get the volumes, then you can reduce the CAPEX and the manufacturing quality. It's like in the car industry. To get the volumes, are we, we know that green hydrogen today is too expensive and there's no off-taker market yet. So we need the politicians. And this is exactly where we are right now. And this is what's within the national uh, hydrogen strategies and the European ones is to trigger, to stimulate first big projects, big projects, I mean, 50 megawatts, 100 megawatts and more. I mean, even announcing gigawatt projects. Yeah, but this is more on the visionary part, but starting now with hundreds of megawatts. Uh, so coming along and, and this will give us the basis for, uh, I mean, the next generation development, technology, automation in production, and, of course, uh, data out of operation in order to feed, take the, the data, feed it back into the development to optimize. So the, the, the politician, this stimulation is extremely important today. I'm not looking for a subsidy economy, definitely not. But it's similar to many other technologies we have seen in the past. We need some kind of a supporting structure in the beginning immediately to kick off uh, the next generation, et cetera, et cetera, as described. Uh, and this stimulus should not just, here's money, 
it should it must be sustainable so there must be sustainable markets behind you get the the say um, governmental funding in the beginning but this is just in the beginning for the first projects because you have always a first of its kind risk uh, because the first electrolyzer big one or the first two three four ones will be significantly more expensive than number five six and ten yeah so to to reduce the front runner risk or disadvantage we need this carpex funding maybe even sometimes opex funding subsidy in order to and a sustainable market for instance which is in europe the implementation of the renewable energy directive too Maybe picking up a little bit on that almond, because I think it's been quite a live discussion in the UK, and it'd be good to get your sort of perspective on this a little bit. Um, when people have talked about sort of this scaling up of green hydrogen and what needs to happen, um, quite often governments look at this as a purely supply side issue. So they just say, okay, how do we increase supply of green hydrogen? What do we need to do? And the discussion then quite often goes towards the renewable industry and the power sector, as you said. So they said, how do we get solar to scale? How do we get offshore wind and onshore wind to scale? We did contracts for difference or we did a feed-in tariff and so everyone's kind of head goes right that's maybe where we need to go and, and i think in some ways we forget that that worked because you had the power grid and you could connect into the power grid and that was an easy distribution mechanism but today if i put a gigawatt of electrolysis down i need to be able to connect it to, to have that distribution piece for it to be just a supply side issue i have to be able to connect into the gas grid and literally you know have one gigawatt of green hydrogen going straight into the gas grid which as yet there are not many markets that can do that. And maybe there are some refineries. And certainly if the Padre was here, he would talk about steel industry and say, you know, there are a couple of steel sites where that could work. Um, but that's not distributed. It's very much concentrated amongst a handful of bigger companies. And so I guess the question then obviously to my mind is, it can't just be supply side. It must also be demand side, right? We have to try and incentivize customers also to make that switch. Um, and as you talked at the beginning about global issues, one of the biggest global decarbonization pieces is energy efficiency. We fundamentally need everyone to use less energy. So if I just make hydrogen cheaper than natural gas or I make it cheaper than coal, I'm not actually addressing energy efficiency, but I am stimulating demand by making it cheaper. So if I'm trying to stimulate demand, promote energy efficiency, and also maintain growth without a long-term support structure, I must be trying to build demand from somewhere. So you know, thinking about your academic background, how do you see that? Because a lot of people have said either this is a target thing, so we say everyone must be 5 or 10%, and then the market figures it out, or this is actually a public policy thing in the way you were saying with Australia that Siemens felt it had to respond in a certain way. Is this also a case that the public need to be saying more, you know, actually, I, I won't accept buying XYZ without this. I won't you know, work with this company unless they do XYZ. How do you think about those questions? Because I don't think that a policymaker can necessarily answer all of that. It'd be great to kind of get your perspective. Uh, you are addressing a very important part by the system aspect, right? I mean, uh, talking about the, the grid, for instance, I mean, this is my home turf here, you know, as an electrical engineer, was exactly working in these uh, TYNDPs, 10 years network development plans. And this has been in the past just focusing on electricity, how to integrate, I mean, onshore wind, offshore wind, PV in the South, say, talking about Germany or in Europe. I mean, this was fine. But then we noticed that we need to expand it into the, I mean, the gas grid. So we had the, 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 the gas development plan. And then we noticed we need to combine it. Yeah. What we in fact need is some kind of an 
uh, energy strategy. So independent on what you need, um, electricity, gas, hydrogen, or whatever, uh, and storage, right? Uh, it must be one part, say, the, the, the blueprint for implementing the green energy strategy in, say, in a country or in Europe. Yeah? We, we, we cannot separate anymore about demand, say, even down to the households, to industries. Uh, then the power generation on the green side, I mean, wind and solar, etc., uh, reducing, uh, say, uh, fossil power plants, etc. So this is already today. I mean, the part of the uh, network development plan today is already considering energy efficiency, demand, industrial demand, uh, demand of households, etc. So in, in all, all sectors, it is considering renewable electricity, and so on and so on. This is even the market, you know, for, for planning the, the power plants. But this is the technical solution, the framework, what we're developing. Before that, it is the energy policy. And this is, I guess, what you were mentioning as well. So clear targets set out by, by the government. By 2050, we would like to reduce the CO2 footprint. By 2050, we would like to increase the share of renewable electricity on the total electricity consumption, etc., etc. That's why we have all these experts. And the, the German regulator or the, the regulators in the different countries, the Bundesnetzagentur and all of that. Yeah. So you need the policy. And you know how the political system works. So you propose something, you have a lot of studies, there are a lot of uh, studies and, and counter studies, etc., etc. But at the end of the day, you end up with the German, European, or British, French energy policy. And then the next is the energy system development plan. And this is the framework, how it will work from today in 2030, 2035, 2040. Yeah. I mean, the, the more you look into the future, the more uncertainties you have. Yeah? So typically what you do is you plan for the next 10 to 15 years. This is why I believe it is right. You were mentioning this one gigawatt electrolyzer somewhere, say, in, in France or in Germany, etc. Uh, in fact, this, this is covered, right? So, I mean, it, it wouldn't make sense to build up a huge electrolyzer fleet in the southern part of Germany, for instance, take the, the German example, knowing that you have a hell of a lot of, of offshore wind. Yeah, and then you build a couple of HVDC lines, which is good business for Siemens Energy, by the way, uh, but the public acceptance is a different topic, okay? So most likely you will go uh, with these, say, storage systems, the electrolyzers, somewhere where you have a strong electrical grid or going close to offshore, etc. In In any case, uh, in Europe, in Germany, everywhere here in Europe, um, we need to import green energy, green hydrogen, green fuels, etc. As we do today, yeah? you, we buy our coal from Australia or from wherever. We have nuclear power plants, we have the gas import, we have the oil import, etc. This won't change. What will change is that it will be green. Yeah. So there will be the new oil, the green oil, however we will call it. And uh, talking to my friends in the Middle East, are, I mean, they would say there will be the time sooner or later where there will be a new oil, and this is a green oil. 
as they said, I mean, and this will be not be due to the fact that there is no oil anymore or no, no natural gas anymore. It is more or less uh, due to the fact that we do not longer accept it, as the Stone Age didn't end because there were no stones anymore, right? So it's all about strategies, policies, and then, say, uh, blueprints, scenarios, and a scenario, a development plan, and we need to lift it to energy and not electricity. Energy system development plans is a blueprint for the next decade, so to speak. But it's a living document. Yeah. And this is what we are working for. And then beyond that, then come the detailed planning, the technologies. Then, then we are back in the, in the electrolyzer business, system integration, et cetera. Yeah. And as a, I mean, former member of the, of a, German university, I was covering more or less the, the full value chain from policy to, uh, I mean, technologies. Right? And, and now I'm focusing with my unit on the implementation. But I still, and we need it, we still have the context to those setting the seed and the policies, because this will be the new future. Yeah? Now I'm working in the green hydrogen fields, which is important. I know that. I, this is, I, I firmly believe in that. But then, of course, academia, science, etc., they need to think about the next gen, what's beyond. Yeah. And this is something, of course, we need to, need to work on. This is a, it's a decay's business. And, and Armin, before we let you go, and we appreciate you taking so much time to walk us through all of this. Uh, one last question for you. We always have to turn back to the business side of things at some point on everything about hydrogen. Um, how how have Siemens invest Siemens investors and major clients uh, responded to to Siemens expansion into the world of hydrogen and you know specifically renewable hydrogen? Um, I mean, j- just open the newspapers or whatever, right? <laughs> I mean, yeah. there there are some headlines. I mean, uh, Capital Market Day of Siemens Energy, etc., and then you see hydrogen everywhere yeah, because i mean increase the share of hydrogen in the combustion of gas turbines industrial applications say in the oil and gas business compressors say product business solution business but also applications um and and then my business for instance uh, preparing the technology and at the end of the day uh, what what our intention is to help our customers are going the way along to reduce CO2 footprints. I mean, this is this is where we are really looking for, uh, and this is uh, where we're really focusing on. Yeah? In installed asset basis, I mean, the coal to gas shift, for instance, it's not about that we preach this. It's about that we jointly, together with our customers, develop strategies and options. Um, as I said, it should be some kind of a standard product solutions, etc., to help customers in the global scene to go that way. And this is our business, and the hydrogen business is my business. Fantastic. Well, Armin, thank you so much uh, for making the time to speak with us today. We really appreciate it. It was wonderful to talk to you, and uh, we hope to have you on sometime in the future as well. Thank you, Andrews. Thank you, Chris. All right, man. Well, that was a good 40 minutes with, uh, with Armin, which, uh, you know, that's a, that's a lot of time out of his day. So let's see. Let's get your highlights first, Chris. What's what stuck out to you? And we're definitely going to grill Patrick since, uh, you know, he was a no-show. <laughs> let's get the big highlights. Oh, yeah. I mean, God, a lot of material covered. I mean, I think, I think one big highlight is in terms of um, scale. 
think we cannot underestimate how serious the level of engagement is from you know from a large organization like Siemens you know and from someone as senior as Armin to be talking about this not as a we're not sure what might happen this could be interesting saying no 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 this is absolutely happening we're looking at you know gigawatt style designs we're seeing sort of as it were a tenfold increase in uh, the power rating that we're looking at on our systems moving up regularly um, it is huge I think it's also something that people forget is actually how much uh, you know your Siemens was yeah, had been involved actually in some really innovative pilots and he alluded to two of them I mean Enigy Park Mines is a really interesting project we show it quite often in uh, presentations um, that I do in the UK because it's just visually very easy for people to see there's onshore wind turbines you can see the storage you can see the electrolyzer it just immediately brings all those elements very powerfully together and then the project he was referring to in Austria, again, is an amazing project. It's a very pioneering project in that whole green steel decarbonization of industry space. So I think that scale and that ambition is really interesting. And then I think that he's absolutely right to talk about this broader point around you cannot electrify everything. And no matter how many times you seem to have this conversation with some people, it still doesn't seem to fully grasp or be fully grasped by people that... Yes, you can absolutely massively expand the role of battery electricity and you can absolutely expand the role of the grid and we should be doing all those things and we should be doing decarbonization by energy efficiency and new technology and, and the whole panoply of that. Great. There will still be a need for green molecules and there is still going to be a need for solutions in that. And I think as Armin also was kind of alluding and maybe he didn't use these words, there's sometimes a sense of the perfect is the enemy of, of you know, you know, is the enemy of the, of the good and the necessary and, you know, as he was pointing out at the beginning, there's 1.2 billion cars. Are you really going to wait till they're all electric or are you going to try and make sure that the ones that are running now are as clean and low emission as possible, you know, and do whatever you can in that process? So I, I think those kind of high level messages were really important. Um, I, I would have liked to push him more on that financial structuring piece. And we did get into that. And he talked a bit about price support and he talked a bit about demand. He's, he's an electrical engineer, Chris. He's not, he's not the finance guy, you know. No, I, I know, I'm but sure, I mean, it's, sure it's, 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 of course, you know, it, it actually is a non-trivial issue to think about the financing piece, because if you look at the main leaders in the electrolyzer market, right, and let's, you know, let's, if we put Siemens and ThyssenKrupp into one side for a second, traditionally you've had ITM Power, Nell, um, companies like McPhee, um, and then there are other smaller companies that also operate in the space, you know, and I'm not going to go through all of them. It, those companies, you know, have not had the corporate balance sheets where they could actually afford to provide meaningful long-term loans and serious financing for multi-multi-watt scale systems. I mean, ITM Power's net value last summer, so July uh, 2019, I think, was under 150 million. I think Nell was under 300 million, right? So if you wanted to deploy a 50 megawatt or 100 megawatt system, yeah, the idea you were going to do that on those balance sheets was extremely difficult. The idea they could lease finance that was extremely difficult. So you really didn't have a lot of options. And actually, you know, even Armin was saying from a Siemens perspective that they still see, you know, some financial risk in, you know, offering a gigawatt scale system today that they can EPC warranty will perform to those standards at the end of that period. And that's Siemens, right, which, as I said, 90,000 people, Siemens Energy, sorry. So I, I think that is a really important piece. Um, and I think that's kind of why also it's interesting the type of market scale that they're looking at, because I, I had often heard in trade shows and conversations with people 
that companies would go up to an electrolyzer stand and go, I run a chemicals business or I run a fertilizer business. I, I want a hundred megawatt system or I want a half a gigawatt system. And people would look at them and go, what on earth are you talking about? There's no way I can supply that. You know, maybe give me five years and the money up front and whatever. And these guys would go, well, I'm, of course I'm not going to do that. <laughs> so you have this incredible mismatch. And, and, um, and I do think that is changing. And I think that is, you know, also something quite reflective. Um, you know, I, I was surprised that they didn't talk about any of the gas turbine stuff. That maybe is my other. That's interesting. Yeah, I would. Yeah, I feel like we had that on the list of things to cover, and maybe we somehow managed to skip that. But I, to that end, and this is slightly, slightly tying that back in there. Did you agree with um, with Armin on how he approached? You know, when we asked where hydrogen fits in the bigger picture of decarbonization, he, I think, rightly hit on like, it's, you know, it's not always just is the application possible, but what does that application timeline look like? And I think he, if I recall correctly, started with mobility, right? And that was sort of his first wave uh, application and then moved on to industrial decarbonization. Do you agree? I mean, just big picture, do you agree with that timeline? Is that the one that you have in your mind when you think about how this process works and what this uh, what this uh, process moving forward looks like? I would say that Armin's view is very market standard. I would say most people in the market would say that transport is the first move. Uh, at any debate, that is very market standard. I, I am slightly not market standard in my view on it. And I think that's only because a little bit of my... Bias that's why we like you, Chris. You add a little bit of flavor to the whole discussion. <laughs> well, it's also the bias of where my industry, where my particular company operates, right? Uh, my company's sweet spot is working in a kind of 10 megawatt up to 80 megawatt electrolysis type deployments, right? So we're probably a little bit too big for some of the small mobility and we're too small for the, you know, gigawatt or 100 megawatt refinery, you know, um, ammonia plants. So we're in a kind of weird area. So I have a slightly different view because of that. Um, I mean, I think the one thing I do emphasize here is timelines are really hard for people to get their heads around. So if, you know, Armin at the end was talking about strategies and how countries think about planning long term and how regions like the EU think about long term energy planning and you have the kind of very high level conceptual framework and then you have an energy specific system of power specific system and then that subdivides down um if you look at what people like the british government have been saying for the last two years or even if you go about 10 years they've been saying for us to have sufficient body of evidence to plan long term to plan out to 2040 to plan out to 2050 we need pilot sites and not just sort of pilot is in kind of a megawatt or sub megawatt i mean we need large industrial sites to start doing these types of systems using these types of technologies so that we actually have an evidence base. So the British government, for example, in 2018 said we need really ideally 20 industrial manufacturing sites by 2025 to be using hydrogen in one way or another for heat. Because if we don't have that, we don't have the body of evidence we need to figure out if hydrogen actually can be a, a meaningful decarbonization vector for industry, right? And, and that was what they said. So for me then, you're looking at that going, yeah, that kind of makes sense because these systems operate for 20, 30 years, a gas turbine or a boiler system. Whereas a car, most people turn their car around you know in five years time or in eight years time even if you kept your car for 14 years that's still young compared to most gas turbine or boiler turbines the boiler configuration so in that sense absolutely right to say the commercial market is in mobility right now but when you're thinking about long-term decarbonization and what investments need to happen to get you to that aim because you're talking such long-term timelines you know, the last thing you want to do is invest in an asset today that is supposed to last 20, 30 years and realize actually after 10 years or even after five years, you're going to have to change it. And, you know, we'll, we'll get Patrick on this in a minute. But one of the things that I think Patrick would probably agree with me, or maybe he's going to be controversial and be a, a git and disagree, is that actually when you look at things like the shipping industry, 
shipping vessels, you know, if you're building a shipping vessel today or you're designing a shipping vessel, you can't be looking at, you know, what is the fuel for the next five years or 10 years, right? You're looking at what's the next fuel for the next at least 20, 25, if not 30, 40 years, right? And so, you know, there's no point in thinking I'm going to run this whole thing on bunker fuel for the whole period. If you're MERSC, that's not going to work. If you're, you know, um, line or any of these big, you know, multinational shipping conglomerates, it's not going to work. So you have to be thinking about that next piece. But if you're thinking about what's my engine look like, you're also thinking about refueling and you're also thinking about production of those green fuels. And so I think that's where I find it a little bit difficult. If net zero is 2050, these are long-term assets and people are making capital investment decisions today that have a long-term payback. You cannot wait until 10 years time for the cost to come down to start doing this. You're going to have to start doing it sooner. And I think then we get to Armin's question of, you know, there needs to be some kind of government support and what that looks like and how that works, I think is going to be really interesting, but also crucial. Um, and so that's maybe where I disagree a little bit, but Patrick, maybe you can show you. Well, yeah, I think maybe we hand it over to Patrick here and let him uh, throw some throw, throw a wrench into the works, maybe. Patrick, what were your big takeaways from, uh, from Dr. Schnettler? Yeah, really interesting, really cool. Um, encouraging to, to, to see how uh, engaged Siemens are and, and the scale of engagement that they're planning around this. Um, I think one of the, the kind of big points that I took away from it was the, the reference to the, you know, the, the kind of, number one, the power to X aspects of it, right? So looking at our, our kind of uh, alternative fuel kind of production kind of means and also looking at um, kind of different types of feedstocks in general and then also looking at you know kind of the the opportunity you know to address the 50 to 60 percent of energy that's linked to molecules right like so that's a, that's a bit that we often um, kind of uh, not so much that we neglected but like it it kind of slips under the radar is it the, the volume of uh, molecular energy that we need to still replace and uh, the scale of the decarbonization uh, challenge around that so, you know, that, that sort of stuff was very interesting, very encouraging. I think also just the approach that Siemens, uh, Siemens is taking with their, their partnerships and kind of strategic partners and engagement groups uh, is, is very cool and encouraging and is similar, you know, to what we've seen and heard from a lot of other, other guests previously who are in kind of a collaborative kind of uh, partnerships and whatnot. So all oh, that's very good, very positive, very interesting. And you know, the, the scale of the challenge, it's, uh, it's going to be necessary to have uh, folks as uh, accomplished as, uh, as, uh, as Armin and, and his team. And uh, yeah, like, like looking forward to seeing what more um, Siemens Energy do in the, in the space. Yeah. And, uh, so one other thing I, I wanted to follow up on with you, Patrick, uh, you know, Dr. Schnettler, uh, Chris asked him to identify, um, you know, favorite projects of his <laughs> in the hydrogen space that Siemens is engaged with. And as one might imagine, you know, Dr. Schnettler, it's hard to, it's hard to, t- <clears throat> to pick a favorite child, as one might say. Um, but were there any projects that he identified that you thought were particularly interesting? Or do you have others that you would add to his list that Siemens is currently involved in? One of the more interesting kind of points, you know, is going to be around the scaling of uh, systems and electrolyzers. I think he talked a bit about, you know, the the different classes of um, of uh, you know facility that have started to emerge. You know, they they they've obviously got the the facility in in, in Mainz. I think what, what I forget what he said precisely it was six megawatts that he he referenced, and then you know we're up to the ten megawatt class, hundred megawatt class. That's the six megawatts. That helps. Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's it. Yeah. So. Um, and then, you know, that scaling potential and then looking at things. I think, Chris, you mentioned uh, 
uh, steel manufacturing and and, and uh, you know H uh, H2 based uh, direct reduction systems. You know, these are big big challenges, big facilities. So these sort of um, scaling aspects to the technology are kind of critical. So yeah, all, all positive on that front too. Patrick, I, I guess one of the questions that I had for you, Reece Siemens, is you know, uh, one of the things I think has been really interesting about the hydrogen space is the fact that actually a lot of companies in this are relatively small, right? I mean, if you look at the whole balance sheet of Ballard, I think it's about $5 billion balance sheet. If you look at ITM, their market cap's under $1.5 billion sterling or $1.4 billion probably in that sort of range. Um, Nell, again, is not especially large. And so, so the kind of question, I guess, that has often come to mind is, you know, are these companies actually large enough to provide the kind of guarantees needed for project financing and for those multi-megawatt, if not 100-megawatt, gigawatt-style projects? And in a sense, Siemens, you know, alongside ThyssenKrupp, are probably one of the few companies that can do that. And, and Siemens is the first in the PEM space to do that. What do you feel is the consequence for the broader hydrogen, specifically the green hydrogen industry, of having a player like Siemens with the sort of balance sheet that Siemens has in warranty and EPC, this type of technology? I think you've kind of answered the question, right? You know, there, there's a few companies in these sort of spaces who can take on these, you know, absolutely huge scale projects and, and facilitate them in, in whatever kind of structure way, uh, you know, needs to be done, right? What this really means, I think, and possibly the, 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 point, the point of the, the kind of the change or the addition of this, this kind of scale is that we now have folks operating up and down the order of scale of projects who will be able to deliver. So it's no longer looking at smaller companies and asking when can they, so much as we now have, to some degree, the, the incumbents of certain aspects of the, of the, the kind of the space, uh, fulfilling needs, fulfilling uh, uh, kind of uh, the, the larger scale options, but also you know, putting in place structures and engagement uh, kind of partnerships that will one allow kind of smaller companies to engage and grow and develop, and also put less pressure on um, uh, entities to to be able to to jump to that scale, right? So, what does that mean? It means that you know if you are a, a new newer company in the space and you partner with a, a Siemens, well, yeah, you're not guaranteeing necessarily the entire thing, and if if your project is a little bit more limited, or, or sorry, if your project uh, runs into some issues, you're not carrying the full whack all on your own you know and I, I think i think there was an aspect to this you know when 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 armin was mentioning that you know the first couple of projects are going to be dramatically more expensive than you know maybe the fifth sixth seventh and tenth right so the declining or you know kind of uh, cost that comes with um, multiple projects you know get, you know part of the the reason for that declining cost is uh, you know obviously familiarity and, and technical you know ease with uh, the kind of the point but also it's familiarity with the risks, right? And being able to talk to, um, you know, different parties and, and talk to them about the, the work previously done and allow everybody to understand where the risk points and stress points are in developing systems at scale. So yeah, like that, that's a big feature, right? Like that's a huge feature. You know, overall, like we, we talked to, um, we've talked to, to various people over the last year or so. And, and you know, the, we've always asked about the kind of the financing of these sort of projects. Well. You know, it is a different proposition when you have a huge diversified company coming to you as a, as a partner on a project, right? You know, financiers are probably a lot more comfortable seeing um, some of those big kind of, you know, Siemens, ThyssenKrupp, et cetera, et cetera, um, on these projects. 
So yeah, it's it's overall very positive. You know, it's going to be interesting given that I think he he mentioned that they're they're going to be uh, IPOing. So uh, yeah, like like there's a there's a play and and a game in in developing developing this particular aspect of the Siemens business that's going to be very interesting to watch watch it roll out. Andrew, I, I wanted to, I guess, put you in actually the question on this one, which was that Siemens, obviously, the other thing is that it's a multifaceted um, beast, right? It has all these different components. And one of the other elements that they were talking about was software and how, you know, software, smart decentralized systems, all of that integrates with the work they're doing around hydrogen, the work they're doing in mobility, the work they're doing on turbines. You know, we don't really talk probably very much about that piece of it, and maybe we should talk more about it. Um, you know, from what you've kind of seen in the States, I guess technology is a huge difference to the renewable sector there. And I guess I wanted to just see what your thoughts were on, you know, whether you think someone like Siemens bringing their kind of technology expertise to and software expertise to uh, energy systems like hydrogen is also going to make for some interesting new business cases and applications that we haven't maybe considered. Yeah, I mean, it's a fair question. And as someone who is not, uh, not, not, a, software, not a software applications expert, but... I've done a bit of uh, work around industrial control systems and uh, cybersecurity issues related to that, right? So, I mean, to be fair, from my sort of uh, amateur standpoint, uh, the way I see it is I'm not necessarily sure that it creates uh, inherently new or different business models. Uh, you know, in and of itself, software and industrial control systems are, you know, a a essential, if not uh, absolutely fundamental, component of of uh, infrastructure of this kind. So, uh, you know, particularly uh, transmission systems or uh, energy storage uh, applications. I mean, so any of these kinds of things. I mean, it's definitely good to have a company like Siemens uh, lending their expertise and bringing their expertise to the table, but. Does it fundamentally reshape anything uh, just because it's a hydrogen application? I don't necessarily see that as as the case, but uh, you know, absolutely essential part of the equation to have you know a, an established major player like Siemens bringing that expertise to the table. I don't know. Do you do you do you agree with that, Chris? Yeah, I mean, I think it's really difficult to, as you say. Um, I think in some sense, it's a little bit early. We're going to have to kind of see how this walks through, but. If you think about a lot of the early commercial applications and areas of interest around hydrogen, I think given the centrality of hydrogen as an integration mechanism to help facilitate larger deployments of renewables, having sophisticated software systems that communicate with each other so that you can actually play a very effective role in things like grid balancing and that you can optimize for storage and making sure that you're purchasing power at absolutely the right times on the grid um, is going to be absolutely critical. And I think that you know there are a number of companies looking at that. Um, one is Inapta, who we spoke to earlier before. There's other companies like Hydrolytics from uh, Claire Johnson runs that company, which hopefully we'll talk to Claire I think in the new year and there's a few others, but you know, it, it's just interesting. I think because someone like Siemens just has such significant financial resources in a way that many of the other players in the space haven't had, it just opens up doors for them to integrate it into more of a single service offering. Um, you know, I think if you talk to some electrolyzer suppliers, they basically say to you, look, we can deliver you a box of component parts and an instruction manual, but the rest is up to you. Um, which is fine if you're a large industrial client, but is not so useful if you know you're not a large industrial chemicals company or 
if you've not worked in the space previously. And so having a company that can actually wrap and integrate a lot of the systems for you um, and then also layer software on top of it is interesting. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I don't, mm-hmm. I don't mean to I don't mean to downplay the significance of getting a, a group like a company like Siemens that can give that sort of turnkey uh, product. You know, turnkey is probably not the right term, but it works for our purposes. Um, you know, I, I think it is incredibly important I guess the question I was addressing was, does it uh, does it open up new business models? I'm not sure that it opens up new business models, but it's an important step towards uh, integrating you know, a key component into a fully, uh, you know, a, a fully integrate, a fully uh, recognized product and package uh, in the hydrogen space, right? Yeah, and, and and that's a fair question. And I mean, I, I guess the other question as well, which is very difficult, is that actually, you know, yes, on one side, it's great, the company is large, and it has all these different skill sets. On the other, does its size become a challenge as well? Right? I mean, because hydrogen is only one of several elements of what Siemens energy will do. Um, and And it is an important one, but it is one of several elements that it will do. And so does that in some senses also mean that potentially, uh, hydrogen will be less strategic at maybe, you know, at certain points and in inflection periods than it will be for a company like an ITM or a Nell or a Hydrogenics, where that remains their core bread and butter. And, and that also, I just can't comment on. So, um, but look, I mean, more broadly on Siemens, one of the things that I thought was really good to get out of a call from Armin was how they see it integrating across so many different elements of uh, traditional energy offerings. And I talked about software, but I mean, we could just easily have talked about turbines um, you know, they talked about a number of mobility elements they're in across. And I think you're going to increasingly see, we, you know, Patrick has also talked about Airbus before um, on these on, I think, one of the last episodes. So, you know, I think it's just it's another sign that large corporates are realizing that in one way or another, the hydrogen is going to come across their business model and their business opportunities. And I think seeing green hydrogen, especially being a core part of what Siemens Energy are looking at and overtly green um, is a big statement of support for the sector that uh, I personally found very encouraging. Absolutely. And I mean, I, I would think to, to maybe maybe add on to what you're saying, and, and I think this is maybe, maybe I'm just repeating and uh, re-articulating what you've already said, but I think Siemens brings to the table, uh, you know, they've worked in these industrial control systems and these uh, infrastructure management software systems uh, for for decades, they know how to do it across multiple different types of infrastructure and different types of energy management systems, right? So, bringing hydrogen in as a component, right? A, a company like Enaptor may actually have a superior software offering, right? Than than what Siemens does, because Siemens is not as steeped in the specific uh, world of electrolyzers, right? Um, but Siemens has that thirty thousand foot view on how to integrate a system like that across multiple different infrastructures, right? So, uh, you know, there's a place, a place for both at the table. And uh, I think, I think, you know, Siemens getting involved is a, is a good step in that direction, right? I don't know, Patrick, agree? Disagree? Yeah, like, like before we uh, necessarily uh, cast uh, quality-based uh, uh, assumptions, like, like, look, digitization of, you know, kind of, or in this space has, has been a, a pretty hot topic, shall we say, for, for a little while now. So there's a lot of work going into this, whether you're in a, in a big company or a small company. There's a lot of people doing really good and important work around that. 
It wasn't. It wasn't a. It wasn't a value or quality judgment. You know, I'm just making an, an example. There are oftentimes new, newer, smaller players that have an expertise uh, that some larger companies may not yet have. Right. I mean, right. Know, the but Facebook, in the, same- the Facebook model is to go around buying up the the smaller companies that that do things better than they do. Right. Right, right, but but also you know the other the other side of it is available too, right? Some some larger companies have expertise that they're able to build on and to 100%. develop, right? And I'm I'm just trying to, I'm, you're right. So my point being that you know this is not some some new aspect. This is something that's been building for quite a while, and there's lots of people doing good work in it. You know, integration of those kind of dynamic features is going to be a, a useful thing. Uh, for the vast majority of projects and the vast majority of people looking to develop projects. What it's going to be is particularly strong for kind of these huge scale systems, right? Like it, it starts to become material in terms of the value proposition, right? So the efficiency of, of managing the systems and the management of, you know, production, stock, et cetera, whatever, whatever, whatever aspect you want to, to, to track. And, and, Look, this is a this is an additional space, but it's it's one that you know folks are looking at in terms of every aspect of the energy energy sector. So you know, I'd, I'd be reasonably confident that we're going to see the impact of that on all sorts of systems, not just you know energy like conventional energy or hydrogen or et cetera, et cetera. Like it's going to play a role in a lot of different things. So it's going to be an interesting an interesting way to see how they they specifically integrate it into this new entity that is you know Siemens Energy. Totally agree. All right, guys. I think we have to leave it there. So that does it for us today at Everything About Hydrogen. A huge thank you to Professor Armin Schnettler, CEO of New Energy Business at Siemens Energy, for joining us on the show today. It was an incredibly fascinating conversation, and we look forward to having Armin back on the show soon to hear updates on the work that Siemens Energy will be doing in the hydrogen sector. Thank you, as always, to Patrick and Chris for their masterful co-hosting abilities and hard work on the show. And as you know, we love to hear from our listeners here at Everything About Hydrogen. If you have any questions for us or our guests and would like to get in touch with us, please send us an email at info at h2podcast.com or find us on Twitter at, at about hydrogen. Lastly, if you enjoy the show, please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast content. It really does help us promote the show and reach a larger audience. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again next time on Everything About Hydrogen when we will be speaking with Mark Selby, CTO of Series Power in the UK, to get his thoughts on the market for solid oxide fuel cells and solid oxide electrolyzers. It's a fascinating space, and there are a few better people to talk to about it than Mark, so be sure to check it out. 